0: Unlike Pastor Adam, I did bring my Bible. <laughs> did you bring your Bible? If you brought your Bible, hold it up. I want to see how many Bibles are in God's house. Excellent. Saw a lot of phones up there. Oh, so we're in, we're in this series. Uh, this is part two of a three-part series where we're looking at uh, end-time action steps. If we believe we're in the last days, then what does the Bible tell us to therefore do? And so we're looking at it from that perspective. So I went through the New Testament, and I read through all the scriptures that talked about the Lord's return, uh, second coming, what it's going to be like in the last days. And then I, was, I, I specifically looked for action steps. What, therefore, should we be doing? So we're going to look at uh, a couple more of those uh, this morning. And we're going to start out... Uh, in Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through five, here's another portion that talks about what it's going to be like in the last days, and see if you can pick out what the action step is, starting in verse one. But know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does this sound like the the times we're living in? Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Did you catch the action term there? We're supposed to turn away from people who are all caught up in, in uh, these descriptions of these characteristics we just read. Turn away from those people because they're contagious. They try to be contagious. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> But Christianity should be contagious too. We should try to be contagious. We should try to live our lives in such a way that everybody around who's lost and broken and all mixed up and confused and trying to change things because they don't like anything in their life, we should live in such a way that they see something in us. And they wonder, what's, what's going on? What is it with those people? Having, I like this. This this is a great description. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power. What is a form of godliness? They it means they, they have an action. They have an appearance. They have. Uh, this illustration came to my mind this morning when I was reflecting on this. Let's let's say I I want a can of pop. Everybody knows what a can of pop is. Are we talking about the can or are we talking about the pop? What's what's the subject there? It's the can, but we call it a can of pop. If you don't have any pop in it, who wants the thing, right? You get a can of pop because you want the pop that's in it. Some of you are smiling because I say pop. I'm from Indiana. We say pop. We don't know why we say pop, but we do. Out West they say soda. I know it. When I was in the Army, everybody laughed at me. I wanted some pop. But think about that illustration. The can is hollow without the pop. What we pay the money for is what's in it, not, not the content. Some people have a form the can. They have the outward appearance of being religious, but they're hollow on the inside. What we ought to be striving for is the power. What's on the inside? I want the power. I'm not interested in the hollow shell. I'm not interested in appearance. I'm not interested in trying to make people think I'm religious. I want the power. When I pray for somebody, I want my my prayers to get answered. So don't have hollow faith. Turn away from people that have hollow faith because that can't do anything for us. What we want is the power. What is the power? The power is the 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 uh, residing, dwelling inside of us, presence of God himself so that he persuades my thinking. I don't just... Make decisions based on how I think because I don't trust my mind. My mind has been trained by the world system. And our point, if you want to take notes, our point is disconnect from this worldly system. It takes you no place. It's hollow. There's nothing in it. The world system, there's nothing in it. You spend your whole life trying to accumulate this great bank account, and then at the end you die and somebody else gets all the money you save. You see, it's hollow, really takes us no place. But as Christians, we have a relationship with the living God who influences us, he guides us, he delivers us, he points us in the right direction, he opens doors, he closes other doors. I love walking with God. Amen. I never know what he's going to do next, but he does. I'm just discovering day by day what he's going to do next. So we want that power. So in a wor- when we see the world system Behaving like these characteristics, we need to unplug from it, disconnect, withdraw, avoid. Let's not try to get into the in crowd, let's try to get out of it. Don't chase after their values. In the book of Revelation, where it describes the final end of everything, in the world system known as Babylon is being dealt with. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. He says, come out of her, my people. Get out. Get out. Now, we're not going to make much of a difference in this world if we all find a hole and crawl into it so we can get out of it. We can't build a little tree house up there and live in the treehouse just to get away from sin. You can't do that. We have, to, we, have to draw, we have to make money someplace to buy groceries and pay the bills, right? So unless you're working for a church someplace, you got to work in the world system. You probably got to church this morning in the world system's automobile, right? So we live in the world. We have to connect with the world. We have to relate to the world. We're not making a difference in the world if we're not relating to people, But we don't let them influence us, we influence them. Somebody say amen. Amen. We should be influencing the world around us. So come out from her. That's the first thing. Disconnect from the worldly system. Got to move on. Here's the second thing I want us to see this morning. Do not believe the deception. That's the action step. Do not believe the deception. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 and 25, it says, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. The action step is... Watch out that you don't be deceived. He told us that. Watch out that you don't get deceived. Deception is in the world all around us. If you don't believe that, go home, get on your internet, go to CNN.com and read the headlines. And then go to FoxNews.com and read the headlines. It's the same news story. They're looking at it from two different perspectives. There's deception in there someplace because they both can't be telling me the truth. Understand what I'm talking about? We live in a world that's filled with deception. We are so insecure, we feel like we have to lie and deceive to get you to see my point. Beware of the deception around us. Deception means there's a counterfeit. When I, uh, when I had to liquidate my dad's coin collection, uh, I came across some deception. I found a 1943 copper penny. You know, they did manufacture a few 1943 coppers. Every, all you know about 1943 pennies is they're steel. Because of the war effort in World War II, they stopped making pennies in copper so that they could make shells for ammo and started making pennies out of steel. Just did it that one year. But there were a few copper pennies that slipped by the process when they were changing them over. Forty. That's known. Forty coins. I was going through my dad's coins and I, I, I knew the dealer would give me a certain amount for these old 1940s, but I knew just enough about it that he, I could get snookered real good. I found, So I went through every penny, and I found this 1943 copper penny. And I thought, could it be? That's the kind of thing my dad would scarf up. Could it be? So I got online, and I began researching 1943 steel pennies. And I found out there were 40 that got into circulation. And the average cost is $70,000 for one of those pennies. I was so excited, I couldn't sit in my seat. I thought, my mom's going to be taken well, well taken care of now. I also read that you could copper plate a steel penny. And a lot of people did that. It's a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. So I got my magnet out, hovered that over that copper penny, and it jumped right up on it. I knew I had a steely. It was a deception. Why would anybody go to all the trouble of copper plating a penny? It's worth about 70 grand. That's why they would do it. It's a counterfeit. If somebody would do that, what makes us think they wouldn't counterfeit something else? like counterfeit an ideology, counterfeit a whole system. Deception is designed to deceive, to trick us, to catch us. uh, About a month ago, we had a rat in our garage. I don't like rats. I put them in the same category as poison ivy. I go to war. <laughs> so that night, I didn't see it. My, my wife saw it, and then I, had, then I saw it later. So I put a couple Cheerios on the corner of one garage, or one, one corner of the garage, and I put a couple bran flakes on the other side, and I wanted to see which one that rat would go for. Well, next morning, they were all gone. <laughs> so I knew he was hungry. So I bought a trap, baited it with peanut butter and Cheerios, and got him. I had to deceive him because rats are about as smart as me. So I had to outsmart the rat. And the way you catch a rat is to deceive him. Do we have any rats in here? Because Satan knows how to deceive us. He knows how to catch us up in something, make us think it's really important when it's really not, and ignore the things that really are. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The end, don't let anybody tell you this is the end. This is the end time. Because the man of rebellion will be revealed first. Do we see the setup for that? There is a world in rebellion. Whatever the, the standard is, they want to pervert it. They want to warp it. They want to they go the other direction. I could go off on that, but I'm a historian and would bore you silly. So, not until the rebellion comes. A re- the rebellion, the deception, promises better things. There is nothing better than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that goes all the way through to eternity. Everything else is temporal. Promises, promises things for next week. Promises things for next month and next year. But it doesn't go on Forever. So, do not believe the deception. Here's number three, the third action step. Keep watch. Keep watch. Mark chapter 13, verses 35 and 36 says, Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly... He find you sleeping. Could it be he catches us sleeping? Asleep? Jesus asked his disciples to pray with him when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you will you pray with me? And then he came back a little later to check on him and found him sleeping. He says, Could you not pray one hour? Is he finding a church that can't pray for an hour? Is he finding a church that is asleep and insensitive to what he's doing in the last days? So why do we need to keep watch? Three things we just learned from that text. Number one, because we don't know the time. We think we do. He's given us some hints that let us know it's pretty close. But we don't know the time. We read a scripture last week. Even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back again. Only the Father knows that. So I need to know what the Father's thinking. I need to get connected with him. So I need to keep watch. The second reason I need to keep watch is because you don't want to be found sleeping, you don't want to be caught sleeping. Amen? So we need to keep watch. And the third reason is because we need to pray for strength. Luke chapter 21, verse 36 says, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We need to pray for strength because this deception will affect us. And the question is, am I going to buy into the deception or am I going to be awake and recognize the truth from error? So keep watch. Here's number four, the fourth thing. I got five of these, so we're coming to an end. Number four, don't worry. The one thing we typically do when we read these scriptures is we start fretting. We start stewing. We start worrying. We start getting scared. Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 15. Jesus says, Before all this happens, you will be arrested and punished. You will be tried in your meeting places and put in jail. Because of me, you will be placed on trial before kings and governors. But this will be your chance to tell about your faith. Don't worry about what you will say to defend yourselves you i will give you the wisdom to know what to say none of your enemies will be able to oppose you or to say that you are wrong don't worry i don't know about you but i worry lord what if my sermon bombs this morning What if if I say something that's really offensive to someone? I've done that before. We need to ask God for a holy confidence. The opposite of worry is having confidence. And my confidence can't be in me because I don't trust me. My confidence has to be in the Lord whose spirit resides within me. And within you. So we need to be people who don't worry and stew and fret. Have we put our lives in the Lord's hands or haven't we? If we've put our lives in the Lord's hands, then he's going to take good care of us. We can rest in that. I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Therefore, it's okay. So don't worry. Have that confidence In the context, he's saying, you're going to be persecuted, but that persecution is going to open big doors, and big doors take you to big places, and big places give you a big platform. So don't be afraid of the persecution. Do we want God to put us where he wants us to be? Then let's trust him to do that. So don't worry. And here's number five, the last one. Call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're told to do in the last days. Acts chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. He says, Peter says, I will show, uh, he's, he's quoting God, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It shall come to pass. He's talking about the future. He's talking about the last days. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a promise. This is what we are to do when we see ourselves coming upon the last days, when we see these signs. We are supposed to call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't tell us to become politically active to stop the signs of the Lord coming back. The signs are a hint that it's just about time you are not going to slow it down. It's going to happen. Unexplainable phenomena in the heavens that nobody can explain are going to make people ask questions. It's going to wake people up. It's going to make people begin to think. God knows how to get our attention. Now, notice, he says, Whosoever, that's limitless takes all the limitations off. That means absolutely anybody, no matter what race, no matter where you are economically, no matter whether you're a big shot or a small shot, it really doesn't make any difference. Whoever. Whoever calls upon. What does that mean? We, we have a Christian word for calling upon something. It's called pray. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Notice who we're calling upon. It's the name of the Lord. And remind me, what's the name of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus. Most of us remembered. What's the name of the Lord again? Jesus. Jesus. That's his name. That's the name of the Lord. It means Savior. He's our Savior. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever calls upon Jesus, whoever calls upon uh, the, the Deliverer, shall be saved shall doesn't sound like there's a possible loophole in that shall it's a confident thing whoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved that's a promise i love that promise it's the blessed hope that we have god's goal is not judgment judgment When we think of end times, we typically think of God's wrath and God's judgment. His goal is not judgment. His goal is mercy. He wants to show mercy. But there's only one way to find it. You have to call on the name of the Lord. And his name is Jesus. We have some folks here this morning that are going to come up and make themselves available for you for prayer. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, they're going to pray with you. They're going to be a prayer partner with you. So I'm going to ask those folks to come on up here. Prayer partners, elders, come on up. Be available at the front. We have anointing oil at the two corners of the steps there. If you want those. If you have a need in your life and you need saved from something, call on the name of the Lord. And he'll set you free. It's His promise. Call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this last song. And if you have a prayer need and you want to call on the name of the Lord, bring it to one of these folks. They're going to pray and we're going to expect God to bring a breakthrough in your life.